0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Dwight Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com
0: or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a quick race, he's gonna win. Down Baylor! Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards! Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. deflected and
2: picked up Moseley. He'll take it in! It's a pick six and a touchdown! Fell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown! Big return for Crowder! 85 yards! There was contact with the quarterback, and it's
0: incomplete. They got pressure. On Prescott, it was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit oh, immediately when yes. he got the handoff. You
1: know that's <laughs> the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at jet one And it's time for the weekend mailbag. Lots of questions following the NFL draft and for that of course we welcome in the owner the operator the lead reporter the whole shebang over at jetsinsider.com and of course above all that a very big deal Mr. Chris nimbly Hey Chris, what's up buddy?
2: and not too much, you know, just uh winding down from the draft and sinking back into this regular quarantine life schedule.
1: I'm just glad that I get to sleep like a normal human being now. <laughs> the few days during the draft as you well know I was completely done. I had no sleep. I was running on fumes. And as soon as all the draft stuff was over, I finally was able to get a little bit of sleep. And I'm sort of back into the swing of things now. And I'm excited to answer some questions in the mailbag with you. So let's start things with one of our favorites. Peter J. Dillard, who should probably go ahead and copyright Usurper as it pertains to Adam Gase before somebody else does it. He says, Gentlemen, I am happy with most of the draft. I even understand drafting a quarterback, but not in the fourth round! Four exclamation points. So you know he means business, Chris. They drafted Petty in the fourth round, but they were hoping he would be the long-term answer. Considering neither the head coach or general manager drafted Darnold, do you think they are truly committed? I don't think it's really that much about Darnold, to be honest. I think they really did like Morgan... There's a story that you're going to hear when I have David Drucker, who is a reporter for FIU on, to talk about Captain Morgan. I don't want to spoil it now because I want you to hear it when the show airs, but let's just say there's a reason why Gase zeroed in on Morgan specifically. I also think that strategically, Douglas wanted to keep him away from the New England Patriots. A lot of people believe that the Patriots were looking to take him later in the round, so there's an element of that. I just think that they saw a guy that they like. They think he's really smart and they can develop him into a long-term backup. Now, would I have picked him in that spot? Absolutely not. And I gave the pick a D. Do I understand the reasoning? Yes, to an extent. And I agree with what you're saying about Petty. They took a swipe on him because at the time they had no quarterback of the future. I think with Morgan, this was more about value and the fact that they also wanted to keep him away from the Patriots. You did hear the Jets say that backup is an important position, and you heard people talk about how the Jets scored eight or nine points a game when Darrell was out, but I do find that argument to be kind of funny because Captain Morgan is not going to be the backup quarterback this year, and what exactly do you expect to get out of him if he has to go into the lineup as a rookie coming out of FIU, so I thought that was kind of a suspect reason that they gave, but I do understand what they were trying to do. Do again I think this was Just more a matter of they really liked him They saw the value they wanted to keep him away From the Patriots and I wouldn't read Much into this in terms of this being A threat to Darnold if They sour on Darnold at some point I have to imagine that they're going to try to aim higher Than a 23 year old fourth Round quarterback from FIU
2: Yeah this this has Nothing to do with Darnold except for You know the idea of trying to Get a backup that A better backup for him um, now i you know he's not going to start out the season as an ideal backup that's for sure uh especially with whatever shortened off season we'll probably have um you're not going to be comfortable with him coming in to play games uh this year probably but this is this is just how it works with with drafting quarterbacks uh you very unless you're getting the one of the top guys uh you you never get the quarterback where you want to take the quarterback you'd always like to take him a round or two uh later than you can but they like james morgan as a developmental guy and you know how much we'll see how much they like him as a, a to be a backup to start but they like the tools and everything that he has and they think they can develop him down the road um and they liked him enough that they thought it was worth spending the fourth-round pick on because if they were going to wait until the fifth round, they didn't feel comfortable that he would be there, and they wanted him. So they felt they had to spend it there. I wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have done that. I get plenty of fans wouldn't have done it, but I get it, and I, I'm not going to really sit here and knock it. Um, this That's just what you have to do. If you want a quarterback, one of those types of quarterbacks – in that fourth round range and you'd be more comfortable with drafting him in the fifth or sixth, but you don't want to risk losing him. And there's a good chance that you'd risk losing him by doing that. Um, now it's interesting because the whole notion of, you know, maybe the Patriots wanted him and we never know what the Patriots want or don't want. But if the Jets took him in part of that, or not just to keep him away, but thought thinking maybe the Patriots would do that there, then they might have to – uh, do some roster manipulating to not leave him available on the practice squad uh, for the Patriots or some other team to come and scoop up. So that could end up playing a factor up into some roster situations there going forward. But also, again, if he's the backup, uh, then that wouldn't be a, um, an issue. And look, what they have at backup now, I mean, I, I'm not I, – I, I'm saying all this about James Morgan not being counted on and ride to as a backup this year, but I mean, he's not any worse than what they got there now. So uh, if I I get it, it's not something I would have done, but I get it. And I'm not going to sit here and crush them for it. Um, Especially with the, those other, you know, the second third round pick and that other fourth round pick where I would have gone different directions as well. So that one, I get more.
1: Should also throw a little cold water on this notion Of drafting quarterbacks, developing them And then flipping them for better picks Jim Colburn is going to be on the podcast sometime in the next couple of weeks And he's going to talk about this a little bit And get into the data on this But that's just not how it works The last guy that I remember that happening with Was Matt Hasselbeck And that was a long time ago The closest thing that you could even come up with Is Jimmy Garoppolo But ultimately the Patriots only ended up Getting back the same pick That they used to pick Garoppolo So what it ended up being was They drafted him so they could do John Lynch's dirty work for three and a half years It's like here, use a second round pick On this guy Spend your time and your resources Developing him for the next three and a half years And then send them to us and we'll give you the pick That's essentially what that worked out to be. You don't see situations where these quarterbacks get picked, developed, and then flipped, which is what the Eagles are claiming they're going to do with Jalen Hurts. Typically what happens is the quarterback gets picked. He's either good enough to start and either takes over the role at some point or leaves to go start somewhere else when he's a free agent. Or he's just not good enough and he never makes it to the starting role. So for those that are trying to say that maybe the Jets were picking Morgan to build him up and flip him, I just think that's pretty unrealistic because that's not typically how things go in today's NFL. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, are you guys surprised that Josh Jones fell that far? And obviously there was a big drop off for Douglas since he was willing to trade up to Jacksonville if need be. Otherwise, he'd have stayed at 11 and been fine with Jones there. Would you have taken Jones in the third, or do they really think Adoga is the long-term starter? Also, where did you rate Mims in terms of wide receivers that were drafted in this draft? So let's start with the Josh Jones part of this. I was stunned that he fell that far. I thought for sure he was going to go at the latest at the back end of the first round, then maybe early second round. But for him to slide all the way to the early third was crazy. What a bargain Arizona got there because I think he has a chance to be a really good tackle. As far as the Jets picking him in the third, I absolutely would have considered it. I think that putting him with Makai Bechton could have given you bookend tackles for the next 10 to 15 years. But I do understand not doing it if they like Chuma Adoga. Now, I can't sit here and tell you exactly how much they like or don't like Adoga. I've heard whispers that they do, and if that's the guy that they still believe can be their right tackle, then maybe it's a little too early to give up on him. As far as Mims, I had him ranked in the top, say, six, seven receivers, so the obvious top three were rugs judy and lamb not in that order but just that was the tier then after that you'd say in whatever order probably justin jefferson and then you could talk about perhaps Jalen ragor brandon iuk t higgins guys like that so i would have had him right in that mix with those guys so somewhere in the six or seven range probably chris what do you think about Josh Jones? Were you surprised? Would you have gone after him in the third round if you were the Jets? And where did you rank Mims in terms of wide receivers in this draft?
2: Yeah, I was definitely shocked that Josh Jones lasted that long. Um, I I thought late first, early second for him. Um, and, yeah, I, I certainly would have done it. Uh, I would have grabbed him with either of those third-round picks. And, you know, hindsight, like, I would certainly uh, get him over Zenega Um and I, I would have taken him over Ashton Davis too, but this is one of those things after the fact. And after I've looked and watched a bunch of tape on Ashton Davis, I really like that and the the possibility potential upside with him. So I'm I, I'm definitely good with that. But I would have been absolutely fine with uh, double dipping on the offensive line there, and it would have been nice to get you know a another tackle to play opposite uh, Makai Becton and have that settled. I do know that the Jets are high on Adoga. They like um, everything that they saw from him, you know, the, the progress he made in and on the field and in, in the classroom. Um, so they do see potential there and they do like uh, what he can do. We'll see how this all plays out. Obviously you've, Pencil, Becton in at the left side, Odoga on the right, and then have Fant as that swing. Uh, but they could also end up, you know, if is struggling, they could go with Fant there and then have Odoga be the swing. But, yeah, I, I absolutely would have been fine with spending one of those third-round picks on, on him or on somebody like in, inside, like Hennessy. That would have been fine with me, too. Um, I had Mims. Obviously, we had the top three guys. And then I... T. Higgins was the only one, other one. So the, those four guys I had like clearly uh, ahead of Mims. And then there's, you know, the uh, Ayuk and Regor uh, at Pittman. They're, they're all right around uh, the same It's it, for me. It's just little differences. And, again, I'm going to talk about when uh, evaluating receivers, it's a lot about personal preference there. Um, I, I think I would have taken Mims over Ayuk or Rager. Uh, and I, or I would have, I liked him over Chanel and, um, and Michael Pittman. I just think his ceiling's a little higher, more potential, but so I, I probably would have had him at, at five if you asked me to really nail down a ranking there. But again, like five, six, seven, that it usually when I do these things in my head, I kind of like to, uh, lump them together in uh, in tiers you know like uh, cd lamb and jerry judy were tier one they they were a- apart from everybody else um and then you could have gone with uh, rugs alone in tier two and then tier three uh, higgins uh, like and then that uh, right below that you lump everybody else together in a, a tier four um and, but i would have i would have personally preferred mims from all those i i I might overrate body control, um, that there's this certain, the things that I really like and look for in a receiver he has. And so that's, that's where I side there. Um, now, you know, like I said, if, if Ray Gore and, uh, Pittman turn out to be better, have better careers than him, I won't be overly surprised, but I, I, if you asked me to really pin down the ranking, I probably would have had him at five.
1: To me, in this draft, as far as receiver, the key to this, as Joe Blewett and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, was there were certain receivers that have number one wide receiver potential, and then there are other receivers that have a chance to be really good wide receivers, right? So as far as I'm concerned, these were the receivers that you would have as potential number one wide receiver: Jerry Judy, Ceedee Lamb, and Henry Ruggs. Those are the easy ones. Then Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Ragor, T. Higgins, and Denzel Mims. And that's why I would have taken Mims over Pittman for sure and Chenault because I just don't think that those guys have what it takes to be a number one wide receiver. I think Pittman has a chance to be a really solid receiver. For a long time in the league I think he can be A really good number two I just don't think He has the upside To be a number one So I think that's where The distinction comes in Next question comes in From the Jet Ranger He says What was the biggest difference Between Douglas and Mac In terms of draft strategy I think the best way To put this is Douglas just had A much better feel For the draft And how the board Was playing He knew exactly What was going on So for example Trading from 48 to 59 And still being able Able to get one of the guys that he really Wanted as we saw Mims Fell to him but also Christian Fulton the cornerback from LSU Was still on the board at 59 so if Mims had gone they could have done that And then from there, being able to get some of the players that he really wanted later on, Bryce Hall, for instance, in the fifth round, the fact that he had that deal worked out with the Jaguars beforehand where he wasn't going to let himself get played for an offensive tackle. He was able to work out a deal that would have allowed him to get one of the guys that he wanted. It just felt like he was more in command of the draft. And then in terms of the actual selections, he seemed to be better at figuring out the value of the players and the value of the positions. McCagnan just seemed to be flying blind a lot of the time. I know that he would go BPA, quote unquote. In the first round and that's why for the most part With the exception of Darren Lee He generally ended up getting the best player That he possibly could but then after that You couldn't really figure out what he was doing With Douglas there seemed to be a real rhyme Or reason here and also you saw A lot of high character elite athlete Type of picks not all of them Because obviously Captain Morgan's not an elite Athlete and neither is LaMichael Pirine, but you saw a lot of elite athletic traits drafted. You saw a lot of high-character players, guys that are team captains drafted. So there seemed to be a real rhyme or reason, and Douglas seemed to have commanded the draft and really understand the board. I think those were the major differences between Joe Douglas's first draft and what we had seen in the past with Mike McCagnan.
2: Yeah, I'll just start with this, offensive line um <laughs> and it's one one big giant guy that they got
1: two big giant guys because they got Cameron Clark later
2: true my 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 bad two two of them but but the Cameron Clark pick was a fifth round pick you know uh McKagan did do a little bit of offensive line drafting later in the draft with the trade up for Brandon Shell eventually uh, the highest one he used was Chuma Doga last year so he would uh, do a little bit dipping his toe into that offensive line stuff later in the draft. And to be fair to McKagnon, sometime a couple of the years, that's just the way the board fell that it wouldn't have made sense to go offensive line. Like let's just look at the year that Leo uh, got uh, Leonard Williams was the pick. If Brandon Sheriff had fallen, then maybe they would have gone there, but otherwise who are they going to go and get? Um, but that's, that's the, big, the biggest difference to me. But otherwise, you, you said it, uh, he just had a better feel for the draft. Uh, and maybe, it, maybe it's the strategy and the execution, You know, the, the strategy from coming from Baltimore and Philadelphia, it, it seemed like he was able to manipulate the draft to the way he wanted it. And while I would have gone in different ways again, especially with those middle three picks – um he seemed to be finessing the draft to get it in those types of spots he worked the draft better It made more sense um and a lot and even the picks that i disagree with with joe douglas i understand more i get the uh everything about it i get the you know process behind it all and uh it, it just made a lot more sense to me. I can understand his thinking behind it more so than a lot of McKagan's, which just left me scratching my head. Now, what I will say is there, there are some similarities too, because Douglas did go a little bit higher on the age with some a lot of these guys. And of course, we After every pick, we, we're hearing about team captain. Team captain this, team captain that, and that was a McCagnon staple too. That's what he was always going for. Um, but, you know, these team captains seem to, to uh, hold a little more weight to me because there's a difference between a team captain that, uh, that a team will just rally behind, they really like, they can lead, and then a team captain like that, that can actually play. Um, so there's some similarities there, but I think again, the biggest difference is obviously going offensive line early. We know that that was going to be, um, you know, something Joe Douglas is going to do a lot going forward too. He's, th- this line is far from set. So going into next year's draft, every draft that Joe Douglas is in charge of, you can think of offensive line as a real possibility until that offensive line is completely set. Um, and I, again, just the feel for the draft, the way he maneuvered it, it felt like he had a better feeling and understanding for how the draft will work, how the board will fall, who will go where and how to ma- manipulate it to his advantage. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at champacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Play like a jet. Play like a jet.
1: Next question comes in from Anthony Siglatano. He says, since I don't want any part of this debate, I'll ask you guys, who is currently the best team on paper in the AFC East not considering coaching? So I think the Bills have the best overall roster, but depending on what happens with the Patriots at quarterback... That's going to be a huge determining factor because, remember, the Patriots do have an absolutely dominant defense with arguably the best defensive player in the entire league, Stephon Gilmore, cornerback. So if they can get a quarterback who's at least halfway competent, whether that ends up being Stidham, whether he ends up stepping into the role or they get somebody else, that to me is going to determine a lot here. As of right now, just straight-up overall roster, you'd have to say the Bills are the strongest team. But I still think that if the Patriots can get reasonably competent quarterback play, they probably will win the AFC East this year. What do you think, Chris?
2: Yeah, for me, this is easy. And I know the qualifier of not not to factor in coaching was included, but go ahead, factor in coaching. I'm still <laughs> taking the Bills. E- either way, I'm taking the Bills I- belichick is a better coach than mcdermott but mcdermott is a great coach um i agree with everything you said about the patriots roster and their defense but the bills defense is right there right there obviously the big hole the big question mark with the bills is at their quarterback and how much will that drag them down but we're still this is one of those things where i feel like Josh Allen isn't going to work against them and hold them that back that much during regular season. Um, I think the, especially being able to play the Jets and the dolphins twice. I think that where you really see the limitations of Josh Allen is once you, you're playing the better teams in the playoffs. Um, I I just think, and and right now, like as much as I have huge questions about Josh Allen, uh, I, 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 I think I'd rather have him than Stidham. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not comfortable saying that, that's for sure. But you you certainly aren't going to sell me that Jared Stidham is a bigger, a huge upgrade over Josh Allen. And I I like the Bills' offensive lines. I like the Bills' weapons. I like their running backs. They added Zach Moss, who I think is a perfect complement to Devin Singletary. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I just – I like that team uh, top to bottom better than I like the Patriots roster right now. Now I know Andy Dalton just got released. So I'm, you know, counting down the minutes to hear about the Patriots signing him, <laughs> but it's still, I, yes, I would expect Andy Dalton to play better under Belichick and with the Patriots, but they, they don't have a lot of weapons for him to exploit. Um, They're the Patriots, I'm not counting them out But if if I'm putting money down on a team to win the AFC East this year I'm putting my money on the Bills
1: Next question comes in from our friend in the UK, Steve Ballew He says, great job on the draft coverage guys Thanks Steve, appreciate that What do you make of the PFF take on Mims being a loser Going into a terrible situation And their view of Darnold being a bad QB A little bit harsh, no? And then he includes this clip Which has gone around on Jets Twitter Essentially this is what Sam Monson from PFF said Says Denzel Mims is a loser Don't get me wrong I love Denzel Mims I think in abstract terms he might have been the third best receiver in this draft Yet I'm tremendously confident he will not survive well in the Jets Because I just think the situation is awful The quarterback still isn't good The system isn't good And they basically now have five to six coin flips on the offensive line Who the hell knows what that offensive line is going to look like I love Denzel Mims and I honestly can't think of a worse place for him to land than the Jets. So this is unfortunately what Sam Monson seems to do a lot of and it's weird because he's supposed to be the measured smart football guy and not some sports talk radio dude, but that's really what he's kind of going for here. Really, he has what could be solid points at his fingertips and instead of making them, goes for this outlandish stuff and then when he gets called on it, he doubles down because instead of clarifying or modifying what he said to be a little more reasonable, what he does is dig in and then say Sam Darnold is on par with Mason Rudolph because they had similar quarterback ratings, which I don't think anybody on earth, even the most ardent Steeler fan would agree with. What he could have said here is, look, I like Denzel Mims a lot, but there's going to be some development needed for him, especially with his route running. I don't know that I trust Adam Gase in that system for him. It might not be a great fit. Plus, you've got a situation where the quarterback, Sam Darnold, has flashed. He's had some really excellent games, but he's also had some really bad games. He's been up and down, so you don't really know what he is yet. That offensive line, they upgraded it. They've got Mekhi Becton now. They've got Connor McGovern. But Becton is certainly going to go through some growing pains. And then the rest of the offensive line, Alex Lewis was already there. And he gets hurt all the time. And he's only a so-so player. And then you've got George Fant, who hasn't proven anything. And in fact, was below average when he did play. And you've also got Greg Van Roten, who's really kind of a journeyman. So how good is that offensive line And you could talk about how you don't trust Gase in general. These are all legitimate points to make. But instead, he just goes with the Jets stink. Their offensive line is all bad. Darnold isn't good. And he's on the same tier as Mason Rudolph. And I think that's where he veers off into the wrong direction. He's way too harsh here. And he's not making nuance points. Like I said, instead of being smart PFF football guy, which is what he's supposed to be, He ends up being loud, obnoxious, annoying sports talk radio dude. And I think that's a disservice to the PFF brand, but that's not really my problem. That, I think, is really more Chris Collinsworth's problem, so I'll let him worry about that.
2: We've talked about PFF a lot over the years. I I didn't put a lot of stock and weight into their grades beforehand when they were strictly trying to just analyze everything contextually and just focus on grades. But I don't know how many of you have noticed, but I have noticed over the past year or so, and they have openly admitted it after doing times like this, they will just throw stuff out there for a hot take to get the reaction and create the conversation. They they have admitted to it on Twitter. They sit there and they'll have some guys just throw stuff out there and then they just kind of uh, they dig in just to create the traffic and the conversation and get the engagement going. And I've seen them just be like, oh, you know, oh, this is just one person's opinion. But then they brand it all together that they are trying to do the same that Colin Coward manipulate the a- algorithm type of thing. They are embracing that whole thing, which flies in the face of every single thing that PFF is supposed to be about. They're supposed to be about context and measured um, an- analysis, but they have gone against it. What I will ask of all of you fans, just ignore them. Stop, stop trying to dunk on them because you're giving them the engagement they want. Uh, they don't care about your rational, logical – uh, knocks on them they don't care that you're dunking on them it's giving them the engagement that they want um it's it's ridiculous and because like you said there's plenty of things he could have said here um without going overboard and it would have made perfect sense i don't trust adam gase yet we haven't seen enough from sam donald yet um we don't know what he's going to look like That in a second year with Gates, There's still questions about the offensive line. There's a shortened offseason, what's men's going to do. I, I Those are all fair complaints. Um, throwing around loser in there, um, comparing Darnold to Mason Rudolph, when you can look at the Steelers' offense and the way they are coached versus the Jets' offense and the way they are coached, Uh, the PFF is supposed, that's what they're supposed to be about is being able to be like, yeah. Okay. So they have about equal a a QBRs quarterback ratings, but Mason Rudolph was in a much better situation than Sam Darnold. Um, So to, to sit here and paint Sam Darnold as some like finished product here. And this, we know what he is after he's missed times in both of his first two seasons. Uh, that's, that flies in the face of everything PFF is supposed to be about, but again, this is a turn that they ha- I've noticed they've made over the past year or so. They will just throw stuff out there just to get the engagement, and it works
1: should just say that there are some guys at PFF that do some really good work. Mike Renner is one example. He does a lot of good work leading up to the draft. Don't always agree with what he comes out with as a conclusion, but I think he does some solid work, and there are plenty of others, too. But Monson has really devolved a lot into that hot take sports talk radio guy, and it's really exasperating, especially, as you said, For somebody who's supposed to represent a brand that is known for measured football analysis. One other thing I should clarify though, Chris, just to be fair to Monson, when he said Denzel Mims is a loser, he didn't mean that Mims himself is a loser. He meant that Mims was a loser in the sense that he lost by going to the jets like when you say somebody's a winner or a loser from draft day he was saying that mims was a loser from draft day because he ended up in a bad situation he wasn't referring to mims as a loser so just so everybody has the full context and we're being fair to sam monson on that and with that we'll wrap up part one of the weekend mailbag we'll be back with part two tomorrow In the meantime, make sure that you follow Chris on Twitter at CNIMBly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd be really grateful. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it helps us out a lot. So if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.